Well, let's do this. Take your Bible and go with me to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Our lives as believers in Jesus are being lived on a spiritual battlefield. And so we've been thinking carefully about how the Bible teaches us to be prepared for this battle. And God has given us spiritual equipment. And we can be grateful that God doesn't leave us empty-handed on the spiritual battlefield. He has equipped us for spiritual battle. So we return to Ephesians chapter 6 and the passage we're looking at. And I want you to follow along. Let's read the whole passage. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 10 through 18 in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Standing therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Verse 10, we start there in verse 10 as a, a necessary and encouraging reminder. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, His might. God has equipped us with spiritual armor and weapons for spiritual warfare to take up and put on and take into the spiritual fight, take to the spiritual battlefield every day. Weapons for spiritual warfare, Armor for spiritual warfare. And we can see here the goal is to stand firm in the faith. Not wavering in our walk with Christ. No matter how challenging the Christian life is. And we can do this because it's God's strength at work in, a, in us. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This is so encouraging. When I think of all the times that I have failed to obey failed to get this right that it it's not dependent on me it's dependent on him at work in me and i need to trust in in the goodness of his word the wisdom of his word and take even baby steps of obedience and he shows up and helps even small faith even little faith so far we've looked at the belt of truth in verse 14, and this is not only a commitment to the truth of the gospel, it is that. 
but it's also a commitment to live by it. Practice what you preach, right? We need to be those kinds of people who, yes, preach, yes, speak, speak the truth of the gospel, speak the love of God to your neighbor, to your coworkers, to your family members. People need to hear you talk about Jesus. But live by the Bible, too. Live by the word of truth. You need to live what you say you believe. It's amazing to me how the culture, the world we live in, kind of knows how believers are supposed to be living. Wait a minute, don't you believe such and such? Aren't you supposed to be doing such and such? Right? And, and those, as, as we've thought about in Philippians, those kinds of accusations ought not stick. If we're accused of being hypocritical, it ought not be true. <laughs> Doesn't mean we're, n- we're never going to be falsely accused, but those false ac- accusations better be false, right? To be truthful and sincerely committed to fighting the good fight is the idea here, the belt of truth. This is truthfulness and sincerity, putting off hypocrisy. Oh, how we must not be hypocritical believers where we say one thing and do something else. The world needs to see us being changed by the word, being conformed to the word of truth that we say we believe in. The belt of truth, put it on. And we talked about this, it holds all the other armor and, and the sword and holds, holds it all together. And then we considered the second piece of armor. It's also in verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. And we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness and we need this at all times. Every believer in Jesus has the imputed righteousness of Christ at all times. You are a saved sinner still fighting sin, but in Christ you are credited with His righteousness. Think of that. Again, I go back to that thought of failing God, failing to be obedient failing to measure up to His righteous standards. But in Christ, I am righteous. I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And then I have Christ in me, who is working in me to help me. Even even through my faltering baby steps at times, He helps strengthen me to, to obedience. We have this breastplate of righteousness In Christ, you are credited with His righteousness. We are positionally righteous in Christ. We are also to be pursuing righteousness. This goes hand in hand with the belt of truth. The sincerity and sincere commitment to fighting the good fight. This truthfulness and sincerity, putting off hypocrisy. We also need the breastplate of righteousness. And we're to be pursuing righteousness and holy living as we... Rejoice in the righteousness that's credited to our account because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His finished work at Calvary. And then we looked at this third piece of armor, verse 15, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And and as shoes for your feet, uh, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, Now, first of all, think of this. The gospel of peace reminds us where we are in Christ. 
reminds us who we are in Christ. It's something like the imputed righteousness of Christ. We are positionally righteous in Christ, even though we are still fighting temptation and sin. In a similar way, the gospel of peace reminds us and gives us confidence for the spiritual battle because of the fact that through faith in Jesus, we are at peace with God. You did not earn peace with God. The Lord Jesus Christ earned that for you. And because we are at peace with God through faith in Christ, God is on our side. It's good, isn't it? It's great to say, well, I'm on, you know, I'm on God's side. It's better that the Bible tells you He's on your side. And so with God on our side, we live with the gospel of peace, equipping our minds and encouraging our hearts for spiritual battle. And we need minds that are equipped with the truth, hearts and like our, our passions, our desires that are being shaped with the truth so that we think God's thoughts, we desire things that honor God and are good for us. Let's never forget that. What honors God is good for us. And then we also looked at the fourth piece of armor, verse 16. It's the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we need to keep trusting God. Keep trusting Him. Do not stop believing the promises of God. It's the kind of faith that's basic trust in God. And when the devil is flinging his darts of temptation at us and we give in and sin, at heart we're distrusting God and we're believing the devil. So we need to keep believing God. In the midst of temptation, in the midst of Satan's fiery darts being flung at us, being aimed at us and and shot at us, we need to keep trusting God, keep reading His Word with faith. And the shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the devil, helping us trust God, helping us obey Him. And now we come to the fifth piece of armor. Look at the first part of verse 17 again, where we are told to take The helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Now, for the warrior on the battlefield, how important is the helmet? (laughs) It's extremely important. Uh, It's so important that when I was in the military, we were commanded to wear our helmets. You, You didn't have a choice. If you took your helmet off, even in training, you were in big trouble. Because they wanted you to be so accustomed to having that on that you felt exposed without it and you would willingly wear it. You desperately needed the helmet on the battlefield. Warriors needed their helmet. Why? Because the head is a prime target. And if the enemy can hit you in the head, you are done. You're finished. So take the helmet of salvation, says God's word. The helmet... Boy, it was heavy, hot, uncomfortable. 
Right after I got out of the military, they came along with these fiberglass helmets that were lighter. I'm like, man, the one I wore was a steel pot. I think it was from World War II. The thing was heavy and hot. But it was an absolute necessity that we learn to keep that thing on. Put that on. When danger is close, the, the warrior would put the helmet on. He would take up the helmet and put it on when danger was close. So what is the helmet of salvation? Well, think about what it's not first. And again, we keep addressing this because it, it's a common misunderstanding and and I trust that you don't misunderstand this, but it's helpful to remind ourselves, since Paul is speaking to believers here, this is not about reaching for salvation. When we're talking about taking up the helmet of salvation, we're not talking about reaching for salvation. He's writing to believers in Jesus Christ who've already reached out and trusted in Jesus, and He has saved them. So this is not, about take, uh, not talking about trusting in Christ to be saved. What you gain when you take up the helmet of salvation, is assurance of your salvation. It's assurance that you are Christ's, that God is on your side. That's protection from the devil's schemes to make you doubt your salvation. You need to take up the helmet of salvation so that you will be confident in your walk with Christ, that you are kept by God. This goes right along with the shield of faith. You see how these pieces of armor work together? It goes along with the shield of faith. We need to keep growing our faith in God. Faith is obedience because you believe God's promises. I'm going to obey because I believe God's promises. I know this is good for me. In the same way, the helmet of salvation is protection against the devil's schemes to get you to doubt you are saved and kept by God through faith in Jesus. So let's think about this. Here's how we take up the helmet of salvation. You take up the helmet of salvation by reminding yourself of the truth of the Bible. It's why we constantly are challenging each other to read the Bible. Read the Bible. It's why we put out the one-year Bible reading plan, and I say there's lots of Bible reading plans. You don't have to use that one necessarily, but do read the Bible because you need to have your thinking corrected and trained in righteousness, in the truth. You take up the helmet of salvation by reminding yourself of the truth of the Bible daily. Uh, here's an example. Jesus said this, John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If the devil's trying to tempt you to doubt your salvation, you turn to God's word for assurance. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe he died to save sinners? And you have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Him, if you've confessed that you're a sinner, you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That person. When the devil tempts you, 
to think that you obey so that you can keep your salvation, so that you can keep yourself, in a way, right? If, you, if you're tempted to think, well, I need to obey so that I can stay saved. Satan tempting you to think that, when the devil tempts you to think that, and you think that you aren't saved because you still sin, because you're still fighting temptation and sin, you need to remind yourself with God's Word. Here's another example, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And you may know these very well. That's good. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The devil would like to first convince you that you need to obey God to keep your salvation, and then he'll remind you you can't obey God. You're having trouble doing that. You must not be saved. You need to have the promises of God firmly fixed in your heart, in your mind. We hear this in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. Not temporary life until they, you know, until they sin and lose it and then can repent and get saved again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That was John 10, 28. And then we have this, 1 John 5. 11 through 13. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us. You hear that? He gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So if we're doubting our salvation, we likely are giving in to the temptation the devil would like us to give in to. We're likely sinning and giving the devil a foothold to tempt us to doubt. The believer's security in Jesus Christ is a fact. It is a certainty. And the believer who feels secure is the one who's learning to obey and keep trusting God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. We keep going back to that. I keep going to that one, uh, that hymn in my mind. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's so true. The believer's security in Jesus Christ is a fact. So you take up the helmet of salvation. Take it up. Remind yourself of the word of truth that that assures you that if your faith is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, you are His. And you are kept by God. Now let's think about the sixth piece of armor for spiritual battle. It's also seen in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, it says in verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, 
and we don't even have to wonder what this is about, which is the word of God and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we are also to take up the sword of the spirit. We are to take up God's word. The warrior's sword was his only weapon. And like the warrior's sword, the sword of the Spirit is the only weapon God has given us for spiritual battle. And as the Word of God, it's the only one we need. It's the only one we need. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 10. You want to turn there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What's so good about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is that it can be used as a defensive weapon just like we did a moment ago when seeking out the truth of the Bible for assurance of salvation and it can also be used as an offensive weapon for defeating the devil's schemes so the sword of the spirit can be used on offense and defense <laughs> what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through 5 helps us see what this looks like in the life of the believer in Jesus. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Sounds like the passage we're in in Ephesians 6, doesn't it? We live in this world, but our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual fight. And so we need spiritual armor and spiritual weapons. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Well, there we go. We need spiritual weapons, right? They're not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Again, we're not taking up a weak and fragile and imperfect man-made weapon for the spiritual fight. We have something far greater we have the word of god that is living and active we have the word of god we have the bible that comes with god's power for destroying strongholds now look at verse 5 we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God? You know, Satan would like to tempt you to doubt God, doubt his word, question his word. Did he really mean this? Whereas Satan says in the garden, did God really say? How do we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God? How do we destroy the lives, the lies of the devil? We do it with the truth of the Bible. We do it as we hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We do it with the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. How do we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Well, when the devil tempts us to sin and tempts us to doubt God, how can we be certain we're equipped for this battle? 
we can be certain we're equipped for this battle as the word of truth does its work in our hearts and minds and teaches us, instructs us, encourages us, corrects our thinking, convicts us of sin. We stand firm with our faith firmly fixed on God by filling our minds with the truth, shaping our thinking by the truth, overcoming the power of the devil with the power of the word. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, says verse 5, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought, every thought, We're not just talking about our conversations now. We're going much deeper than that. Every thought captive to obey Christ. We stand firm with our faith firmly fixed on God. We fill our hearts and minds with the truth of God's Word. We allow our thinking to be shaped by the truth. We resist the power of the devil with the power of the word. That's what we've been hearing in Philippians 2, by the way. Does this sound familiar? In verse 13, Philippians 2, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And remember, what's what's pleasing to God is good for you. And He does that when we take the sword of the Spirit. God works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. When you take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, you trust Him, and you take steps to obey Him. Again, you're not obeying Him to stay saved, to earn your salvation, even to earn God's good pleasure. Not that that He'd be pleased with you, but because you are a believer in Jesus Christ and He has saved you, you, your natural inclination ought to be to want to please your Heavenly Father, to honor Him, glorify Him, and to, out of the overflow of your joy, joyfully pursue God's Word and the knowledge of it and obedience to it. And this well-known passage from Hebrews 4.12 of the Bible says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Every time I read that passage, I'm amazed at the ability of God's Word to know me better than I know me, to know what I need better than I think I know what I need, to know my hidden motives better than I know my hidden motives. And 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that the Bible trains us for obedience. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It trains us for holy living, God-honoring lives. And then Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And yes, the Bible is a lamp and a light helping us see clearly 
while the devil is always trying to deceive us. We need to put light into our lives while the devil is trying to darken our understanding. The Bible is also a sword. And so there are passages like the one I just read in Psalm 119 that talk about God's Word being a light, but this, the one here in Ephesians 6 is talking about the Bible being a sword. The Bible is a sword. It defends against the devil, against his temptations. The Bible, the Word of God, destroys his scheming, his schemes to defeat you. So take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and say with the psalmist from Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we have one more verse in this passage here in Ephesians 6, verse 18. We're going to look at that next time, Lord willing. But I think it's interesting that we, we end this passage with the Word of God and prayer. That's the next verse. The Word of God and prayer. Isn't that something? It's like the last things you say to your kids as they go out the door. When, when I was growing, when I became a young man and I would leave and go somewhere in my car, my dad would say, do you have a quart of oil? That may sound weird, but when you drive old cars that you know burn oil, do you have a quart of oil? Do you have a handkerchief? I don't know. He, he carried them. I carry one now, so everywhere I go, I, in fact, uh, if I go somewhere and I forget my handkerchief, I discover it. I wish I discovered it earlier, but I usually discover it too late, and I go, oh, no, I don't have a handkerchief. The last things in this passage that God addresses us with is the Word and prayer. We'll talk about prayer next time. But this week, let me encourage you to think carefully about the spiritual armor that God is giving you and the confidence with which you can live with your eyes fixed on God and on His promises. He is keeping you. He is equipping you. And you can live victoriously in His strength, with His help, with His power at work in you. Finally, verse 10, Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.